Welcome to NAB Digital Next and to the inaugural episode of our new podcast. I'm Brad Carr and over the coming months I'll be hosting some of the great leaders in digitalization and innovation from across the world, together with some of my NAB colleagues who are going to help me distill and interpret some of these global insights for what they really mean for us closer to home. Today we're joined by Neil Cross. Neil is best known for his time at DBS in Singapore, where he was their Chief Innovation Officer. He also led Mastercard Labs, built the Orangutan Hotel in Sumatra, and is now in Perth as the co-founder and chair of wealth management startup Picture Wealth, and he's also a board member of Peppermint Innovation. We'll follow Neil's great insights with a quick recap with Angie Mentis, NAB's Chief Digital Data and Analytics Officer, and also my boss. And Angie, of course, was previously the Chief Executive Officer of the Bank of New Zealand, and she's a great visionary when it comes to pursuing and implementing the types of innovations that Neil shares. Here's Neil speaking with me recently at Picture Wealth's new offices in downtown Perth. Neil, welcome to NAB Digital Next, and congratulations on the brand new offices you've got here in Perth for Picture Wealth. It's exciting times. Yes, thank you. It's been a it's been a great journey so far. We've been in here a couple of weeks, and we actually had the Lord Mayor, the Right Honourable Basil Zemplis, uh, open our office on Friday, and we even had a plaque unveiling with a little curtain. And uh, so it's great to see the business expand and good to be in the heart of things right here in the city of Perth. Absolutely. I'm going to pick up a little bit more of what you're doing here at Picture Wealth a little later, but I wonder if we could start by reflecting on some of the key takeaways from your time at DBS. Um, Frequently, I would ask senior bankers who they most looked to, who they most admired and took took inspiration from across the industry. And almost universally, everyone said DBS, Um, maybe sometimes Ping An or BBVA, but both those I spoke to in Washington those that I've heard around at NAB included uh, very much look to the successes you've had at DBS. And I'd love it if you could start by telling us what most stands out from your time there, whether it's particular successes or achievements that you're most proud of. Uh, yeah, it's, it's quite an a interesting journey to unpack over five years. It went through kind of multiple stages. I suppose for me, the um, really the crux of the matter was going after the cultural transformation and not just focus on the tech part. You know, we, we know that digital transformation is important, um, but a lot of people forget actually that the human transformation is even more important. They're the ones who are going to go through this journey. And um, essentially what we need to do, and what I think we had uh, quite a lot of success in, is getting bankers to approach their business um, like a tech company. So how would you think about product manufacturing if you're a tech company? How would you think about distribution? How do you think about pricing? partnerships and ultimately how do you think about your customer say as a Google or a Microsoft or a Facebook and and getting that to such a significant scale I think was the real standout where a lot of companies you know talk a lot about cultural transformation but it really doesn't get reflected down into how people operate on a day-to-day manner and so if you think of some of the numbers there I think every year we were getting about two-thirds of the bank, the, the entire staff base globally, in doing um, something in innovation or, or transformation. So really getting people to not only, you know, we build in the digital bank at the time, but also how do you get people to do their day job differently and a bit more like a tech company rather than a, a bank. So in a lot of banks, it's probably been done well in like one little slither of the business or one particular niche or segment. And one of the standout characteristics of DBS was that you did actually manage to embed it on a much more widespread basis across the enterprise. Yeah, that's it. I mean, every single if you every single part of the bank had a responsibility. When I came into DBS Bank, um, I've seen a lot of innovation teams fail at banks. Nearly all of them at some point um, fell because I think they focus too much on on innovation, where 
was I was very clear on day one, hey, the innovation group will never invent anything. Um, now I did that for a number of reasons. One is that, you know, my sales target, well, my not sales target, my target was zero innovations every year, which, you know, I do like to achieve my target. <laughs> so that was an easy one. But but really it's to cut through the politics that if we're as an innovator, you can get into a lot of political, you know, issues um, very early on. You think, you know, in innovation, you focus a lot on tech. Well, there's there's people in there's a tech team for that. Yeah, you focus a lot on culture. Well, there's HR that do that. You focus on products. Well, there's a product team that do that. And so I want to say, look, we're not the innovators. Yeah, innovation group won't invent anything. The whole bank are the innovators. Yeah, and I strongly believe that everyone can innovate, and a lot of people innovate and they don't even realise it. Um, People tend to think about innovation as this bright, shiny thing. And, you know, that's that's just part of it. But really, in your portfolio, you've got to go from uh, a lot of process improvement or incremental innovation. And then you get yeah. kind of more more kind of rooftop shot. And then you've obviously got the moonshot stuff as well. And and what we want to do is to make them the hero. So working with executives, saying, look, it's your customers' problems. It's your staff that are going to solve those problems. You're going to pay for it. You're going to deliver it. You know, it, uh, and we want to make you better at that. We want to hold your hand. We want to run workshops. We want to give you the tools, the framework, the mindset to make you the hero, make you successful. And I think that's why that particular model worked incredibly well. Yeah. Um, and, and and thinking about the entire bank, so every year um, the customer-facing team, the business units, had to reinvent part of their business called the customer journey. But then also equally as important there was employee journeys. And so the kind of risk team, finance, compliance, um, tech, operations, who were more more um, kind of uh, internally focused, they had to reinvent how the employees work with their product systems and services. And ultimately, that reflects on the customer. Maybe, you know, it's not a direct one-to-one relationship. And so that was important that everyone felt they were part of the transformation Everyone actually had a KPI, all the managing directors, and just that huge scale and creating that environment that, you know, is a safe place to innovate. And that was really hard. I think, you know, I think one of the most proud things was really just a very simple thing, turning the word no into the word maybe. You know, if someone, I used to be in meetings at the beginning and someone come up with, I wouldn't even say an outrageous idea, I think pretty lowball idea in fairness, and, and people sit around and go, oh, no, we can't do that. Oh no, you know, um, regulate won't let us. Or, oh no, that doesn't fit our tech architecture. Um, and and moving that just sounds like a really simple thing to actually people sat around a table going, well, maybe. Why don't we try experimenting? Why don't we try something on paper? Why don't we do some modelling? Why don't we prove to ourselves actually we can't do it, rather than assume we can't? And that 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 sounds like a simple thing, no to maybe, but it's so impactful if you multiply that across the entire staff base and every part of the bank is thinking, well, maybe we should collect some data and find out if that is possible. Yeah, absolutely. That culture of innovation, I think it's a really fascinating one. There's a couple of things you've mentioned there, both about, I think, leadership and about the regulator that I do want to pick up. Though also, when you talk about the the human culture, it makes me think a lot. It's a quote that I've, I've used way too much, I must admit. Um, Megan Green, Harvard economist, talked just before COVID actually about how all new innovations have typically taken about 25 years to show up in productivity data because of the lag for humans to actually learn how to use the technology properly, have it become something that they're confident with as part of their arsenal. And a lot of what you're describing, I think, is the real pragmatic within an organisation. How do you face into that sort of challenge? 
Yeah, that's it. It's getting it's getting it baked into their day job. People assume that innovation, as I said, this shiny new product, something you go do over there. It's a special project. But in fairness, think about what everyone does every day. We're looking at information and we're making decisions. Now that is innovation. Yeah. Now maybe they only realize they only currently work today, and the decisions they've got in their toolkit is A, B, or C. Well, actually, if you bring them some of these tools like um, you know customer journeys. Lean startup experimentation, rapid prototyping, fintech engagement, then they start to realize actually there's a D, E, F, and G as yeah. well. And, and that's the really important thing is rewiring um, how on a day-to-day level they approach their business. And as I said, a bit more like a, a tech company. And that's a huge multiplier. And, and you know, and if you at the same time you can reduce, you know, some of the negative aspects of a bank culture, yeah. So the silos, yeah. How do you get people working across from different business units and also working outside the organization. How to uh, get people a bit less risk adverse? That doesn't mean you break rules, but but maybe being a bit more ambitious and experimental, then you have to break down a lot of the hierarchies. And we saw a lot in Asia micromanagement, which yeah. will kill any innovation straight away. Yeah. So how do you work with leaders for them to create this kind of safe place where people can try and experiment? I remember... Uh, one year we worked with Piyush to change the award structure. We actually had an award, award which was the biggest experiment failure. And that was messaging to the whole bank, look, it's okay to try yeah. something and, and be ambitious and to fail. And actually we're going we're gonna to start to celebrate it. And that was a big kind of mindset shift. And if, you, if you do that enough and you have the messaging from the top of the organization coming down, at the same time, at the bottom of the organization, you're pushing up, you're, you're getting them to use these new kind of tools of the startup and the tech world. And then where they meet in the middle, you have to align the middle management and start breaking down those silos. They really can do the amazing inside an organization. I think it was really significant. You had very strong stakeholder support from the top, as you mentioned, with Piyush Gupta, the, the CEO, and probably one of the most innovative uh, and visionary CEOs. And obviously you and others that were then able to help translate and connect that through the organization. And, it's a really important point that you need to have that support from the CEO, but that's not sufficient. You need to have a team of leaders that are able to, to help drive and promote that, um, which I think is a great example. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you need top down, bottoms up and side to side. Yeah. You know, what I tend to be very good at is, is immediately selling up and I, I call it access to power. So how do I get protection from the senior leaders and, you know, Piyush and the board and even going up into our investors, Temasek, even the prime minister's office, yeah. And, and creating those connections that, that gives then this umbrella of protection that then we can kind of negate a lot of the politics, just get on with the business of innovation, yeah, which is really important. Um, and having them, the great thing about Piyush is he does very simple, consistent messaging. You know what it's like in every company uh, that I've worked for, you get, a, you get a CEO who says, oh, we need to be like a tech company and, you know, whatever. And then all the staff go, oh, you're, this is the, you know, this is the new message from the CEO. There'll be some KPIs. Tell you what, we go tick the boxes. It's all right. Next year, it'll be a different message. We'll half do it to so say we did. Get a nice pat on the back and get our bonus. But what Piyush did, he, he left you nowhere to run because guess what next year was? The same message. And guess what the year after was? The same message. You need to be customer-centric. You need outside-in thinking. Where you know twenty two thousand person start the message never changed and that was the beauty of it is the consistency and the simplicity that you knew that if you did not change and and kind of fall in line and operate in this new way that you will get impacted kind of bonus wise as time goes on there was nowhere to hide mm-hmm. um, but again you can't 
just have the people at the top mandating. You really need to inspire the staff to change. Yeah, and and a lot of that is creating a level of excitement. In in the strategy, we had two sides. So one one side of the strategy is is um, you know very much hey we need to deliver new products and services and internal systems. The other side is uh, equally important. We need to inspire the staff. We need to we did stuff like getting them build drones at lunchtime getting fintechs to come in and pitch to them, bringing crypto experts to, to give them the, the, the belief that we are changing to be a tech company. Yeah? It's not just talk. It's, it's not just the executives. Mm. You can feel it. Now, maybe, you know, you haven't done something, you know, particularly interesting or tech-like where, where you work in risk today. But guess what? You heard of Johnny in the other department who did something very cool. So at least you have proof. And that's the important thing. You need to give staff the proof that the change is real and the change is happening. Singapore government. And if I cast my mind back, you made a great comment at the IIF Digital Finance Symposium in Brussels in 2018, I think it was, where you talked about how often within banks we we cite the regulator as being a barrier to our innovation agenda or to doing things differently or building that failure and experimental culture. And that quite often when we say that, what we actually mean is the internal interpretation of the regulator, the inter- internal interpretation of what we think they'll let us do. Mm. And I was wondering if you could perhaps pick that up or elaborate on that a little further. Yeah, so it's at this base, um, and it's perfectly natural, I do it as well. We tend to limit ourselves, yeah. We, we can't do something too ambitious, and we put these limitations. We can't do this because of X. We can't do this because of Y. Companies do it, people do it, countries do it as well. And, and it's the same with regulation. We say, oh, no, we can't do it because the regulator. And I, I got this a lot when I was at DBS, and I got kind of so fed up with it. Um, I made some relationship with the regulator, and I'd actually ring them in the meeting and put them on speakerphone, and it used to completely freak out the people in the room. I said, you can't do that. I said, why not? You said they can't do it. Let's ask the regulator. Um, and, and as I said in Brussels, actually, when I talked to the regulator, it, it, it's, they want us to innovate as a bank. Uh, but what happens is, obviously, regulators draw fluffy lines. They don't, they don't draw a straight line. So they won't say, for example, right, you can use cloud computing, you can use it for this, you can use it for that, you can't use it for this, you can use it for that. I mean, regulators are kind of getting there. But with any regulation, they, they can't be wrong. So if they make the line a little wavy, a little fluffy, a grey area, um, what happens is banks step back. So they kind of look at that and go, OK, we won't go anywhere near where that line is. We'll, we'll do something a lot less. Um, and then obviously that's the head of compliance. And the head of compliance has to um, turn that into a process that all the rest of his division and the rest of the bank can understand, usually with a form with tick boxes in it. Yeah. Of course, then you're down to dealing with a junior person in compliance who has a tick box. And, you know, where's this pro- I had this, you know, what's this? I want to do a new internal crowdsourcing platform. What's this run on cloud? Oh, no. Immediate no. It's like... Well, wait a minute. We can't. That means we can't work with fintech because there's lots of things we can't do. And but then when you talk to the head of compliance, they're like, "Oh, let me look at it." Oh, yeah, that's fine. And so the interpretation from the from the head of compliance down to the juniors and that process they put in um, is, is causing issues. Then when you talk to the regulator, they're no, no, we didn't mean it like that. We want you to do this. We were just kind of, you know, they, as I said, they don't want to be too clear because they can't be too exact. I mean, they're clear but not not exact and prescriptive. Um, because also they want to leave freedom and room for people to innovate around it. And that is the biggest problem. I've never found regulation stopped us doing anything at the bank. Um, in fact, I'll tell you a really funny story. Can you guess 
Um, India has the world's most advanced ID platform, yeah, Adaha. Yes, yes. Wonderful platform. I remember it was at MasterCard on the early stages working with that. And can you guess the first bank in India? Indian banking market's huge. Should, to use Adaha to open a bank account? I'm guessing that it's not ICICI or State Bank of India or one of the big uh, local players. Uh, I think it was the thousandth largest bank in India called DBS. Yeah, right. Um, and so what we did is we went to the regulator. Uh, you know, I said, look, we should look at Adaha because I just left MasterCard. I went to the regulator and obviously the regulator said, oh, no, you, you can't. So they come to, oh, what if we do it this way? Oh, wait a minute. That's a bit more interesting. Tell us, oh, what if we do it this way? What if we have devices in, in coffee shops that, you know, are regulated and governed, get checked, and we pick a coffee shop chain, people go and use a thumbprint. Can they open a bank account then? Yeah, that'll work. Mm. And so interesting that, and, and of course, all the banks in India went, Dole, can't believe we missed that one. You know, it's their home territory. And of course, now every bank in India pretty much uses Adahar to open bank accounts. And so they could open a bank account and have a, a real bank account, not a wallet, I think, what was it, within two minutes yeah, right. wow. using a thumbprint. And that was a great example that they'd all probably already gone to the regulator or the bank said, we use Adahar. The regulator said, no, but, but, you know, but not taking no for an answer, just working with them, twist it, reshape it, give more confidence and, and really kind of scratch away at that gray area to work out where the real lines are, what you can actually do and what you can't do is critical. Getting from no to maybe, as you described it internally earlier. That's right, yeah. Also yeah. makes me think a, a bit of, of you know, some of the feedback I, I took from my time at the IF was that regulators in a lot of cases didn't fully understand some of the innovations that banks were wanting to use, the, the new technologies that they wanted to apply, but they were always anxious to learn more. And I always sort of had that sense that there is an opportunity there for if banks and insurers are able to, you know, perhaps step forward and be more forthcoming and more proactive in some of our engagement, that regulatory community is often pretty receptive to that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, there, there tends to be a fear of regulators internally. Nobody likes to go and talk to the regulator. It's like, I suppose, going to talk to the police. I don't want to go talk to the police. Um, but, but you have to obviously find the right part of the regulator yeah. that, that's open to that. And they do. I mean, I was. I remember I was asked by the um, uh, the Chinese regulator years ago. This was like fifteen years ago. I was up in China. Oh, I've been in China many times. But but they said to me, I was on a panel. They said, you know, what, "What recommendation would you give to us?" And I said, "Very easy. Read science fiction. Because everything that you're thinking about has already been written about in the future. Yeah. There's future scenarios mm. around how technology is going to change people's lives. How it's going to change they do commerce." how they work, how they get educated, and ultimately, you know, how they do finance. And so at least it gives you that kind of future insight on what's coming, and so you can be prepared for it um, as a regulator. And I think that's incredibly important. As you said, once, once you can understand the mechanics of some of these new megatrends, and the regulator gets to understand them too, then they can be more effective at managing those risks and, and regulating around them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's pivot and talk a bit about the market and the ecosystem as it's evolving and emerging today. Interested in your views as to, to where you see the next areas that are ripe for disruption in financial services? Obviously, you've, you've probably found one of those niches in what you're doing here at Picture Wealth, and I do want to ask you a bit more about that in a moment. But what stands out for you, whether it's the emergence of, of big tech firms or new competitors, new entrants, anything particularly top of mind? Oh, I don't know, where do I start? It's like, there's just so much going on. It's extraordinary at the moment. So, um, uh, you know, I think one interesting, the, the failure of digital banks really to deliver on, on profitable business and get to scale, especially here in Australia. We see it in other countries as well, realising that actually banking is incredibly hard. I mean, 
I, I personally don't think that digital banks are the future, um, as in creating a startup as a digital bank. I think the funding model that applies to startup, C, Series A, B, C, doesn't fit a banking scenario. Um, it's incredibly hard to get to scale. Um, and secondly, I think the future of finance is more people taking vertical slices out of, out of you know, going after the high value areas. Obviously, in, in Australia, we're looking at wealth, uh, you know, the insurance space, for example, and really being good at that and and having less regulatory burden and less operational cost and less, you know, having a core banking platform, for example, is a huge advantage. But if you look at the early digital banks in, in the UK, the really successful ones, they never started as a bank. They started as a pay, they started as a you know a prepaid card and an app, yeah. yeah. And they got to huge scale, then they put in the banking infrastructure. And so starting as a bank from day one, I think is really hard. There's been some successes, but there's been more kind of failures in that space. I think interestingly, the you know, can you guess the biggest bank in Southeast Asia at the moment? As in amount of customers? I probably would have guessed DBS, but by market yeah. cap, uh, I think they're the biggest company in, in Southeast Asia. Uh, no, it's a taxi company called Grab. Grab, Grab. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so suddenly we're in a world which you wouldn't even have thought five years ago. And, you know, their model was quite clear. They have a huge amount of client connected. There's a credit card that people pay for to book their cabs. So what they did literally in one update and overnight, they went from zero bank accounts, I think, to about 30 million because they turned all those cards into bank accounts. Yeah. So next time the app downloaded, you had a bank account automatically. And then they started selling wealth projects and insurance and savings plans and through there as well. Um, so I think the, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of super app. I don't think that's the way forward. But the interesting thing, anyone who's got a huge client base can now move into finance. Yeah, The regulations got simpler, the technology's got simpler, you've got banking as a service. Um, there's lots of fintechs and partnerships that you can have. And we're seeing that on the consumer side, the people with a, you know, a lot of eyeballs are looking at turning to banks. We've even seen airlines doing the same thing. But what you're seeing on the corporate side is quite different. Corporates are trying to solve their own problems in finance. Mm. So a big corporate a conglomerate has a lot of interesting bespoke needs that they have from, from a bank, you know, you know, supply chain finance, for example. They're looking at other ways to solve that problem by becoming a little bit of a bank themselves. So that's quite a new trend. And a lot of those, I guess, have had sophisticated internal treasury functions for some time, but they've got a lot of the the financial capability if they compare with the right technology uh, accompaniment, I guess. Yeah, that's it. And and a lot of them actually got their own money as well. So it's like, you know, we've had... I remember we had a huge conglomerate come to us at DBS and said, look, if I just give you all the money, I need to do my supply chain financing. If I just give you all the money will you, and I'll put all the money in it, can you just lend me your tech and regulation? Mm. Because you are unable to configure your systems to a thing that we require. And that was really interesting that they want to supply the money for the lending to the supply chain. They just need the tech and the operations and the, and the regulation. So in the future, anyone can be a bank. Now, that's kind of one trend we're seeing. So if you've got lots of, in the consumer space, you can you can do consumer banking. If you've got, in the corporates, they're kind of solving their own problems and they're trying to get to solve their own problems in banking. And then we're seeing this massive collision that's going to happen between decentralized finance and, and fintech. And we're starting to see a lot of people leaving fintech and joining decentralized finance. Obviously, we've been through the NFT spike. It should have been called ICO. Uh, we're in the same thing there. I yeah. think we're, we're over the NFT now um, and um, uh, people realising that maybe that isn't the future of that industry. And we're seeing a lot of talk around something guy called Make It Worse. 
um, which some people call metaverse. Um, and so what we're seeing in, in metaverse is actually making experience worse. So you want to have a nice coffee chat, you know, and have a business meeting? No, no, no. You need to sit at home and put on VR goggles and walk around. Yeah, you, you want to do three clicks on a banking app to do a payment? No, no, no. Put your VR goggles on, walk into a branch and queue up. And so interestingly, I think there's a big kind of rat hole in that thing. But anyway, um, and we'll see that play out and it'll simplify. But the important thing behind that is actually a lot of the mechanics around decentralized autonomous organizations and DeFi, I think, really starting to get some interesting traction now, obviously based on the blockchain. But where does that leave fintech? Mm. Um, and I think kind of fintech's a bit stuck in the middle between one side you've got DeFi, one side you've got regular banks catching up, the other triangle in that's tech companies, fintech kind of caught in that middle. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and I think the, your point about Grab is a great example of the, I'll probably get more to the tech company part of that, uh, that prism that you described there, but the the, the banking as a service, embedded finance, platformization, call it what you like, and I think each of those each of those terms probably overlap. Mm. But this sense of being able to provide connectivity across different walks of life, different sectoral boundaries, and giving the consumer that single point of access to multiple needs is probably the direction that we're going to see you know greater consolidation in. Yeah, I mean it's just natural. Essentially, at this base level, we're tying what people are trying to achieve in their life with the the, the financial requirements to do that. Mm. And so, you know, normally, you know, people don't wake up in the morning and go, yay, I'm going to do a payment today. You know, they're off looking at motorbikes on websites and picking that or picking a house and then suddenly they have to come to the bank. It's all very disconnected. So it's just that merger, really, of what so people are trying to achieve. The means to an end yeah. for the consumer, isn't That's it? That's it. And, and yeah. banks need to decide where they want to play in that. Yeah, yeah, um, correct. And uh, are they going to be, you know, we going to, there's a risk that banks could be the dumb pipes. You know, they could be the ones just doing the banks a service. You don't even see their brand. Um, or are some banks are taking more of a forward sink and some banks are starting to sell houses and cars like DBS so they can, you know, it's really just mm. customer journeys. That's essentially what you're doing. People are buying houses. Well, let's get right at the front of that journey, help them find a house and uh, then supply the financing and the insurance on top of that. Yeah, yeah. Look, to conclude, Neil, I want us to talk a bit more closer to home here at Picture Wealth. Um, and obviously, I think a bit of what we've just been talking about has been the emergence and the evolution of different opportunities, different niches in the market. Can you tell us a bit about what you're doing here and about the some of the innovations perhaps that you're deploying as part of, as part of Picture Wealth? Yeah, so Picture Wealth, our mission, our kind of top line is to bring financial happiness to the world, obviously starting in Australia. And uh, we, we, I'd say we're renovating the financial planning industry. I've kind of gone off the word disruption. I know that I've got a big award with disruption on it um, and I keep get cited as disruption, but I, I've, I've gone off it because I feel it's a slightly negative word in terms of things get broken up and, and, and things get, you know, but we love financial planning. It just needs renovating. And it's a very simple thing we're doing. Essentially, if we look at the financial planning process, uh, we're reorganizing it to get the humans to do the hu human things that they're good at. Yeah, so getting advisors, building relationships, building trust, yep. um, spending time with clients. And we're getting the robots, which is, you know, tech, data, you know, not necessarily um, R2-D2, but the tech to do what tech's good at, you know, um, doing nudging, data collection, reporting, and at scale. And, and so we're bringing a lot more efficiency into that business. And so we've created an end-to-end -end platform which runs um, Picture Wealth Advisory here, and we've reduced the overall operational cost of financial planning companies. At the same time, then what we do for growth, we acquire businesses and we put them on our platform, and then we digitally transform on the fly. 
So the customers get a great new digital experience and the financial planners then who are now Picture Wealth employees get this kind of one-stop um, financial planning in a box. So And it connects into all the product systems and so all the, mm. all the data's there ready. And of course, the SOA generational co- generation cost is dramatically um, decreased. So that's what we're, we're doing as a business. We're renovating the industry and we're growing through acquisition and, and being very successful in this space. We just raised $14 million. That's a recent announcement and we've got new offices here and we continue to grow. But for me, when you think about wealth, wealth I'm, I say I'm a very simple person, it's really you just it's about dealing with people's hopes and fears. You know? and, and people hope that they, they you know, when they retire they can have nice holidays in Bali or they're worried that they won't have enough money to send their kid to a good university and so if you start from that base there's a human there with hopes and fears and okay get a human in front of them to build confidence um, you know give them build trust and then take those hopes and fears and turn that into a financial plan that's going to help them achieve and deal with anything they want to in their life I mean it sounds pretty basic yeah but of course most financial plans don't operate like that, and the industry doesn't operate that too much like that today. Mm. So that's what we do. What we do as a business reminds me of the analogy that a, a US defense expert gave about the role of, of AI. That for a missile analyst, instead of them spending twenty four hours poring over photos and trying to work out what kind of missile that is and what its uh, specifics were, that AI could tell them all of that, and they could instead spend their time working out where it came from and where it's going to go tomorrow. Yes. And you're, you're about putting the, the insights in the hands of the financial planners so that they can be doing more of the, the human value add. Yeah, that's it. And, you know, they do the sense check on what the machine has said and, and this kind of stuff. And, and also the data collection. It's very hard to say, hey, fill out a form. And by the way, tick this box to say if you think you might get divorced soon. You know, no one's going to do that, yeah? But if you sit and have a coffee with someone, you chat about their life, is this a concern for you, all this kind of stuff, you know, a human's a great data collector. At the same time, our, our software, Picture Planner, is backed onto our license. And so it's got the guardrails and the process that is really hard to kind of get financial planning wrong using our technology. And that's what makes it um, you know, highly compliant and very efficient as well. Which, Neil, I think, you know, to conclude, that really brings us back to where you started the conversation about the point of, innovation being not just about technology, but about the human element, the cultural side with that. Um, and so you're really taking what you've seen throughout your career and, and really um, embodying that in what you're doing here, the, the human and the yeah, and the technology together to deliver the, the benefits. Yeah, that's it. It's just we're working. It, it's the same. Yeah, we, we You get people doing digital transformation. I still do advisory work on, on trans, bank transformation projects around the world. And it comes down to this simple thing. You've got the you, you humans trying to do robot jobs. That's usually called operations. And banks are trying to innovate and they're trying to get robots to do human jobs. Well, maybe, you know, humans are better at that. And so it's really just reorganizing that and be very clear on what the human jobs, what the robot jobs and having that balance between your tech and your people. A lot of great insights there from Neil. I really love the emphasis on the human element of digitalization, getting from no to maybe, the culture of experimentation and engaging proactively with our regulatory and governmental partners to help all parts of the economy in the innovation agenda. Taking some of the learnings from Neil's insights with an international context and with a global leading firm and bringing that a little bit closer to home now, I'm going to turn to Angie Mentis, NAB's Chief Digital Data and Analytics Officer and also previously CEO of Bank of New Zealand. And Angie, I wonder if we can help relate this a little bit for our audiences here in Australia and New Zealand. Can I ask you what most stood out for you in Neil's observations and anecdotes? 
Yeah, so Brad, firstly, thank you so much for interviewing Neil. Uh, I'm such a huge fan of DBS and just listening to his insights, so much of it stood out. I really think the one that stood out for me the most was that this is not just uh, tech change, this is a real culture change and it's about humans. And so that really stood out for me. I, um, I've borrowed what we used to say at BNZ, which is digital first, human where it matters. So it's going to be just so important around our ways of working, uh, how we establish um, our chapters uh, and how we really think differently uh, with a design led and, and really be putting ourselves in the shoes of our customers and our colleagues and our bankers in everything that we, we design and execute on. So that was probably the big one for me. And you mentioned it also around the regulatory. I think there is so much opportunity and I saw it in Singapore when we went up with the board and the Monetary Authority of Singapore that gets you in there and they've got a sandbox and, and you're in there with the regulators experimenting, learning, I think there's more we can be doing with our regulators where because they're aligned with us. They want our customers to be safe. They want us to be doing the right thing by the customers. So we're aligned. So I think there's much more we can be doing there and pushing a little bit on, on making sure we're proactive around, um, around what's coming and not waiting for the regulation because then you're not going to have the right customer experience. The other point that I really liked from Neil was about the, the culture of experimentation and that example he gave of where the CEO, Piyush Gupta, had put in place a, an award for biggest failure in a very positive sense, that they're really trying to encourage that culture of experimentation. And, and that's not necessarily what we naturally tend to do in a, in a regulated, uh, very risk-conscious industry. Um, and I was wondering if you had any thoughts or reactions on his comment on that one. I'm right on the same page, and I think we have to embrace a culture of experimentation. Uh, we have to test and learn the way we work, the way we're looking at what is important to customers, even you know the design, the recent design expos and the, the way we you know, bring others in the organisation to be solving our problems together and really doing that in a, a real experimentation and learning because that curiosity is going to help us be much more innovative and actually help us to, again, design for the customer, design for the colleague. Uh, so let, let's make sure that these learnings that we start to hear, uh, that we embrace, and I know in places in the organisation where we're doing that well, how do we make that best practice? Well, Angie, thank you. It's been a great discussion. Great discussion with Neil and, and great to have your insights with that. And we look forward to doing a lot more here on NAB Digital Next. And as we look ahead, we're next going to speak with Kitty Parry. Kitty is the CEO of Deepview, a startup operating across the UK and the US and working with a number of the big uh, global investment banks. And she's been looking both at things like social media and IT security, as well as some of the surveillance technologies used across the market's businesses. So stay tuned. See us next month and we'll hear more about that. Thank you. Thank you.